COVID pod conversations about the coronavirus epidemic and the times around it. Chao Jiang is an evolutionary biologist and a principal investigator at the Life Science Institute at Zhejiang University in China. Today, we will talk about how the situation unfolded in China just shortly after he moved there after 10 years working in research in the United States. We will also talk about some of the cultural differences between the East and the West and also a little bit about the mutations in the virus COVID-19 that allow it to infect humans. Awesome. So how are you? Good, good. When did you move to China? Uh, September 2019. And then it was quite soon after you moved then that all of this started happening. Yeah, it started happening. Around the, around the end of December, there were some rumors that there might be something like SARS. Yeah. But, you know, SARS was originally in China and the people get super freaked out when they mention this. So they kind of suppress it, yeah. like saying it's a fake news or whatever. Right. And then, then it turns out it was not fake. <laughs> I think after a month, after the initial rumors, then right. the, it became real because the guy who established the protective policy and strategy during the SARS period, which was 2003, mm-hmm. and visited Wuhan, he visited a city for the breakout of this pandemic and yeah. uh, then he says it actually is quite a serious and uh, everybody's like oh shit before he said that mm-hmm. like they had a, a festival of like i don't know sixty thousand people wow. celebrating together <laughs> yeah and at the time then they, they freak out like why why the hell did we celebrate knowing that this is a serious pandemic and i guess after the initial admission that this was a big deal i guess they took very stringent measures to lock it down afterwards yeah i think that's a typical government policies that deny deny then go crazy <laughs> about this yeah but yeah. when it goes crazy it does go crazy so it's probably far more crazy than any other country so far right i mean right now i guess it's also quite crazy in italy at the moment and i think in yeah, fact yeah. as we record yeah. i think italy might even have a higher uh death toll than china uh, i think it's already is higher it's higher that's what i thought yeah, they have a much higher death rate which i well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure China's number is not 100% accurate. But the thing is, even let's say if there are like two times people actually getting sick. Right. I think the thing with Italy now is that their published death rate is much higher too. So it's it not only higher. the number of people died, but also percentage. So right. That's the thing. It's like, I guess the percentage they are calculating based on the number of positive test results, yeah. I believe. And then that, of course... I know that the testing efforts are not extensive because of the challenges of testing yeah. widely. Limited uh, reagents and all that. So so usually I would say the, the death rate should be over because there's a lot of people with very weak symptoms, mild symptoms, or even asymptomatic. They won't be tested because, exactly. well, they're not as serious and they won't go to hospital. And then, or probably they don't even know they have this virus. Exactly. But nonetheless, it could be that it is a bit higher in Italy than in some other global average, I can imagine, just because they are being very much stretched to the end of their resources. Yeah, I think, I think it's uh, really the hospital resources. Like if you don't have the resources, then even people you can save, they will die. And that's, uh, that's what happened in Wuhan initially. Right. So, but, about, but afterwards, basically every, every province or state is sending their medical team, like 300 
migrated people, thousand okay. people to Wuhan city. So it's like everybody sending probably twenty thousand medical professionals to that one city, like from all over the country, because they were stretched too thin. There's just no people, no resources to do this. They just that's why they send all these people. And then I think it became、uh, much better after that. Yeah, well, it's good that it's now under control. And now, from what I understand, life is starting to return back to normal-ish. In China, except of course with constant sort of monitoring to make sure that there are no new outbreaks. Is that correct? Yeah, largely. Well, we're still wearing masks. Like、right. the big difference you see between the Eastern sort of Asian culture and the the Western is like the concept of wearing masks. Like how how useful it is in this. I think in Korea, including Korea and Japan and China, of course, we were all like fine with wearing masks all day. Or, or I guess we don't really have culture that you only wear masks when you are sick. Right. I think the 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 key thing about this disease is that the problem is you don't know if you are sick. Wait, I just wanted to clarify. So you're saying the cultural difference is that in, for instance, the Western countries, wearing a mask is like an extraordinary thing that you might only do when you are sick. Whereas in in the Eastern Asian countries, it's、uh, accepted as a sort of lifestyle measure just to prevent the spread of sickness in general. And not only that, in China, it's probably because of smog. Because we have smog、yeah. since two thousand eight or something. So I mean, I, I had a two hundred mask even b- before all this happened because、right. I hate smog. Uh, Korea has some degree of smogs too, and they were playing the the blaming game like between China and Korea, like because they think the the smog is from China.、Right. I actually want to do a project on that, <laughs> but、oh. Japan is even more interesting. Japan has a especially females think wearing masks are, are cool and、uh, can avoid a lot. A lot of unnecessary attention in their country. It's all different reasons, but in the end, we're all okay with wearing masks. Right. I remember when I was in Japan visiting that it wasn't uncommon to just see people wearing masks on the. Yeah, and, and they don't even have smog issues, so they're even more they interesting,、do. I guess,、yeah. regarding yeah. this. Yeah. Well, maybe this is the future of humanity. We're seeing that we all go around with、uh, masks. <laughs>、uh, yeah, but I may understand why the United States or Europe initially said that wearing masks has no use.、Uh, well, I guess it does have no use if you are actually being exposed to somebody who is sick and not wearing mask. Now, your wearing mask has limited use. But I guess the key is if everybody is wearing mask, of course that costs a lot of resources. But even the people who are sick and do not know they are sick, they are wearing masks too. So that's the I guess that's the key difference. Whether that can happen, of course, that's well. Maybe there's something to be learned from that. If this ends up becoming a frequent event, the culture of mask wearing could spread to the West. Well, I mean, we we definitely don't <laughs> want to be a repetitively occurring thing. Because even for us, okay with wearing masks, this is still worse than just smoke. Like now. I actually don't mind smog because comparing to <laughs> <Yeah> . <laughs> comparing to viral particles, smog is fine. Yeah. Oh. But now, in terms of work and things like that, people are starting to、oh. be out doing things just wearing masks. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You see people wearing masks, playing badminton, or even jogging. Chow points out that the situation in China seems well under control now. There are only about thirty or forty new cases per day in this country of more than one point three billion people. 
from abroad, basically. So, so China also is shutting down its border. Right. But has it been open all this time, the borders? Yeah, surprisingly, it has been open all this time. That's amazing. But no, every day you have, just if you take a plane and you come here and you're sick, that means the entire plane needs to be quarantined too, right? Exactly. For 14 days. So every day, that's like gigantic amount of people needs to be quarantined. That's a lot of resources too, just right. because of one. Right. But they're testing everyone who's coming so far. Yeah, I think that's probably why they figure out it's not doable. Then we switch gears a little bit to talk about some of the research Chow has been doing on the current coronavirus. He talks about efforts that have been made to sequence the genetic code of different strains of the current virus as it spreads around the world, causing outbreaks in different places, often mutating along the way. You know, I mean, initially I was interested in evolution because, you know, there's a global efforts in the sequencing. I mean, as many as possible, the viral strains, they isolated from uh, individuals. So I think when I look at it, initially there were only like three because I was always paying attention to the situation. And that was like the end of January. And then now there's, today I checked, 1,500. So 1,500. Right. And from all over the world. From all over the world. Yeah. And you usually see, uh, depending on where the disease is, there's a, a surge of sequence from that particular country. Right. There are mutations here and there in these sequences, but of course not all of them have functional consequences. So what I'm working on right now is actually trying to sort of establish a link between the mutation and the functional consequence. I know that the data are not necessarily there yet, especially in terms of the clinical consequences, just because we're in the middle of this and... Yeah, uh, yeah, it's impossible. I think the only way is to have animal models. People are probably just starting to establish. Right, to see if but, some of these mutations have any consequence in terms of the viruses, infectious... Yeah, whether it's getting worse. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think overall it should be getting worse from a functional perspective. But this is more like science research right. sort of thing. Like, it's maybe bad to say, but it's my curiosity which plays a major role in this. I probably won't provide a cue, but I really want to sort of understand how this whole thing like happens, how the virus become able to infect human beings at first place, but afterwards how it changes, how exactly the whole thing goes on. And this virus, the idea now is that it has come from an animal host, that it has jumped into humans. Well, I mean, the closest one that we have is from a bat. So it's similar to SARS. So that's probably the ancestor. But I guess now the question is how exactly it goes from bat to human. So for SARS, it was a typical wild animal that people were eating at the time. So they think maybe from bat somehow it gets to that animal and uh, become uh, able to infect human. Because we don't usually deal with bats. You sort of have to move to an animal that has quite a close contact with human being to increase the chance of hopping over normally. And I won't get into all of the details here, but Chow's research tries to determine how the different mutations in the current coronavirus allowed it both to jump from the bat to humans and potentially to adapt itself to different outbreaks as it spreads across the globe. Also, on a lighter note, one last thing I wanted to bring up with Chow was a report that I have seen in the Swedish media, which says that the Chinese authorities think that Sweden is a black hole where the virus is being allowed to thrive. This might be because in Sweden, we still have yet to implement really stringent measures for quarantine, relying on self-isolation on a voluntary basis. I asked Chow if he has heard any of this and what his take is on Sweden's approach. 
I do not know this in particular, but I did see some. Because uh, Sweden is next to Finland, right? It is next to yes. Yeah, they have this kind of. I guess as a joke, is like the way you you stand in queue. You always have like what six feet or something between mm-hmm. any two human beings mm-hmm. when you are waiting for a bus when you are in a supermarket. I don't know whether that's true or not. Obviously, but but they say that's perfect for protecting yourself against the virus because that's like the naturally social distance. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's <laughs> true. One of it my, is true. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not true that we stand necessarily six feet away, but there's enough space and that. Yeah, yeah. I think they na- were like everybody needs to go like Swedish style or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, let's all try social distancing Swedish style. And hope that works. End of interview. Thanks for listening.